So many people get promoted to be managers because they're really good at a specific job, but they're not given the tools or the skills that they need to develop to further their career. Well, if you're looking to get into management, you're trying to get that next promotion, or you just want to round out your skill set, today's show is for you. This is the Proven Principles Podcast with Adam Knight. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. My name is Adam Knight. I'm a 20 plus year veteran of luxury hotel operations and owner of Proven Principles, a hospitality operations consulting firm. And this is our show where we aim to deconstruct and demystify the best practices of hospitality and make them available to you and your business. Now I'm really excited about today's show. It's all about how to develop people to be stronger managers and better leaders. We've got Teresa Ito, principal of Blue Mountain Solutions on the show today to talk about how organizations can best develop a culture of learning and development and where new managers can go to find the skills and the tools and the training that they need to become better and have longer, more prosperous careers. Teresa is a veteran of the industry. She's been in hospitality for over 30 years. She's lived in Jamaica, in the UK, in Canada. She's worked for brands like Fairmont, Le Meridian, Sandals, and Hilton. And she's a certified instructor with seven habits for highly effective people. Teresa has done it all. She has a long record of success and is the perfect person to be talking about this today. So enough about the show. Let's just get right into it. Teresa Ito, principal of Blue Mountain Solutions. Enjoy. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. Good morning. It is really great to have you. Thank you so much uh, for for being here and uh, appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you come to starting Blue Mountain Solutions? Uh, kind of where you're from, like your career, what's your life story? Thank you. I'm born and raised in Jamaica in the Caribbean. Um, when I was 12, I moved to England um, with my family. We did high school and college there. And then in my mid-twenties, and then I went straight into the hotel industry um, at 16 years old. Love it. Um, And then in my mid-twenties, I moved back to Jamaica, um, working in hotels there as well. Um, And then back to England. So altogether, it was 20 years in England, 20 years in Jamaica. Hmm. And then we came on holiday to Canada and fell in love with Victoria. And that was it. We all moved here um, eight years ago. Sorry, 11 years ago. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, Victoria, I mean, there's, there's, there's no better place uh, in Canada, uh, in my opinion, than Vancouver. Oh, it's yeah. lovely. It's and my whole family love it. I have two girls in their 20s, uh, two daughters, and they absolutely love it. I should be careful saying that out loud, though. My wife is from Ontario, and she has some <laughs> choice words for me. So. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. <laughs> exactly. Right, 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 right. Um, so how did you come to starting Blue Mountain Solutions? What was the, the path that led you there? Thank you. I, I, had always loved, for my first 10 years in hospitality, I always loved serving the guests. I always loved finding ways of exceeding expectations to delighting the guests, doing a little bit more, thinking ahead for them. And then I realized in sort of the next 20 years, I I realized that what I was really enjoying more than that was delighting in seeing people around me succeed and finding their jobs easier and increasing their productivity. And, and that's when I thought, oh, maybe training is, is what I'm really, you know, I, I found that developing team members was even more enjoyable, even though I love the guest contact too. Um, so that's when I thought maybe there's something there. Um, so I had worked for many years in hospitality in all, every single department. Um, at that stage, I had worked in 
England and California and Jamaica. And I had two small children, uh, four and one. And I wanted to, um, I was thinking, how could I balance what I was doing being a mum? Um, and many women do it in many different ways. I'm one of four girls and we all do it different. We have all done it differently, raised our children differently. But for me, I wanted to, I didn't want to do six days a week, 12 hours a day. Um, so I thought, well, let me stay in the industry and do some training, but also be able to be um, an engaged parent for what I was looking for. So that's when I started um, Blue Mountain Training, as it was in England um, in the year 2000. Um, and it, I just felt like there was a gap in the market. I had re- returned from the Caribbean um, where we had been giving exemplary service um, with Sandals Resorts, a five-star all-inclusive Jamaican-owned company, which I really enjoyed for seven years. And then I came back to England. And I thought, oh, I think there's a gap here. I think I could really help people um, to lead better um, and, and give better customer service. So it seemed a natural. It's, uh, it's interesting to have gone through the hospitality industry, having worked in you know, multiple positions, multiple properties, um, kind of different companies and seeing how everybody else does it. And, and the one thing that tends to come up is that, you know, while everybody talks about the need to develop people, there's really, there's not a lot within the industry inside of individual companies that is out there to really help people get stronger in actual managerial and leadership skills. You're right, Adam. I think, I think you're right. Um, And that was why I felt such love for the industry because there was a gap there for training. So my job, whether I was, you know, um, food and beverage manager, director of rooms or general manager, what I was actually doing was training people um, majority of the time. And, you're right. So often we put the, the best server becomes the restaurant mm-hmm. manager, yet we mm-hmm. haven't taken the time to, you know, we first start, we've taken them from the job that they've done the best and mm-hmm. given them a totally different job and often not given them the tools and industry best practices to do a great job on that. Right. They, they learn through trial and error um, and, and through hopefully they get some feedback from you know, their superiors. But a lot of the time, the content just isn't out there. And you're right. And it's, it, it can make for a pretty, uh, not only a you know, tough learning experience for the person who's promoted into that role, but it definitely has impacts on the culture within an organization. It does. And, and there's, I feel, I really feel there's no need to struggle like that. There, there are some great industry best practices and people who, who want to be supervisors or leaders are yearning for that. And I, I feel that Blue Mountain Solutions is able to break that down and really make it easy to digest and absorb and try in the workplace. And, and then the success comes. Yeah, that's really what it's all about. So when you've been working with, uh, with different properties, different clients uh, with Blue Mountain, what have you come to see and how do you describe to your clients you know, what makes for a good and a bad training culture, really like what do we have to look for and strive for to get to? And what do we have to stay away from? Yeah, well, I think to be, to really share information, we need to lead out loud. Um, We tend to think people know what we're thinking as leaders and we haven't said it out loud. Um, So I think we need to really think about the way we're communicating and communicate well with our teams. Mm. Um, We need to be open to questions. Um, I've, always believed in, you know, regular one-on-ones with the people who report to me 
and that needs to be at any level. Anyone who reports to you needs to be able to have a regular one-on-one. And I'm, I'm saying a weekly one-on-one works for me, but also with the whole team, at least a monthly monthly meetings. And the culture needs to be where you're open to questions and you talk about learning. You talk about what we did well, what could we have done better here, but not in a blame culture way. Um, debriefing events is a great opportunity in our industry. You know, we go so quickly from, you know, Thanksgiving to Christmas to New Year's to you know, another event dying around in January. And, and we don't stop to, to take stock and talk about what we did well, but also what we could have done better on each event and document it. Bullet points, really simple, not long meeting minute notes, mm-hmm. um, but information we can share, not what did you wrong, do wrong, sous chef, why you didn't order enough of this particular product or, you know, why was the host away? But it's more, you know, more attention on the door or looking at par stocks or, looking at the way the menu's written so that we have an idea of what's going to sell sell better on the night, you know? It's so true. And we, we're, we're experts at just moving on to the next thing so fast, right? Never oh, taking totally. stock of, of what, what just happened, right? You, you, if we do, it's typically a uh, uh, find out the things that were done wrong and don't do that again. And then That's we'll right. Have this big yeah. event coming up. And then mm-hmm. Rather than teasing out the good stuff and say, hey, yeah. this worked really well, do that again every single time. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I remember, and the culture is so important. I remember a very busy um, day that I was, when I was general manager of Swans, uh, a property owned by the University of Victoria here um, in Victoria. And it was a very busy day. And I said, I'll come up and help. We'll help clean rooms. So I was cleaning rooms. And I said, I'll only do it if you room attendants will check it after me. And I remember Sonia saying, no, I'm not going to check the room after you, the general manager. And I said, do you know how long it's been since I've cleaned three rooms in a row? Of course you will. <laughs> but we know that you started in housekeeping cleaning rooms. I said, that was some years ago. And of course, the delight when they found something that I hadn't done correctly and the laughter in the rooms that day was priceless. But again, if you open yourself up to, I'm here, I'm going to learn, you teach me, you know. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's that humble leadership. It's the ability from your side to, to say, hey, look, I... I, I know how to do this at a high level, but mm-hmm. it's been a long time since I've been in the weeds, since I've been in the details of this. Sure. So please come back behind me and make sure I'm, I'm doing it the way that I expect you to do it. Sure. And the team often, you know, at, let's say a busy Empress room or something uh, at the Fairmont Empress, you know, you'd go in to help the team and immediately they'd want to stand back at the mm-hmm. host stand to help you know, so that you could help lay, you know, sort of organize the floor plan. Well, it's too late. Then they're the specialists in it. And I would always say, I will bust the tables. You tell me which tables to bust. I will get new cutlery and I'll reset. I'll do the, the lowest level of, of, of stuff that's available because you guys are the specialists in the area. And I'm just coming in to, to assist and then I'll slip away when you've got it. I like what you said earlier about communication. It's something that uh, I hear a lot about. In fact, I think everybody in any organization hears a lot about communication and the importance of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But one thing that gets missed is uh, is the effectiveness of the communication. Because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I just had a conversation with someone the other day about how organizational communication isn't where it needs to be. But, but you know, other in the next breath, I get so many emails and I can't keep up. So what do I deal with? Or how, how do I deal with that? How do I manage that? So on one right. hand, you know, there's a lot of communication because of the, the volume of emails that are coming 
through and the volume of meetings that are happening. But on the yeah. other side, the message is just not penetrating. Yeah. Yes. And I, I, I can see that, you know, and, and at the end of the day, we're human beings. We don't want to, we don't feel drawn to the hundred emails that are sitting there. And if we're walking through a corridor and we look up at a notice board that says, you know, um, colleague get together or kick off to the season next Tuesday, we're drawn to that. So we have to think about the many different levels and the way people accept information and listen to your team. If the number of emails coming in are, are coming thick and fast, then we need to look at it as a team and say, hold on a minute, we need to stop doing that. What can we do differently here? And really start to look at that. Again, when I would go on vacation, I would say to my seven leaders at the Fairmont Empress, I'm actually going to go away for two weeks. I'm going to switch off. I'm not even going to have my phone with me because my family's with me. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to come back on the Monday and each of you spend half an hour with me and tell me what's happened in your outlet. That way I don't have to look at the three pass-ons per day that have happened. And I won't go back and read any of them because I trust that you'll be able to tell me the most important things that happened in your departments in under three categories, the colleagues, the um, guest delighting the guests, and the financials. And once they could keep me up to speed on that, then I was quite comfortable never to dip back into all those emails that sat there, you know. I think that's pretty powerful. And it's something that uh, I, I, there's a lot of value in just that one example for other people out there, because I think there's some confusion within really any organization, but where that, that culture of training and development and communication, where does it start? Who, who's responsible for driving it? And mm. in the example that you just gave, it was, actually, it was actually the associates that were working in the department while you were gone on vacation that were responsible for, for driving it up to you. And I think a lot of people think that it's top down, but in a lot of cases, it's bottom up. Well, I, I think that motivation and drive starts from inside us all. So I feel what we can do as leaders is make sure that the culture and the surroundings um, drive that forward. Um, but it's, it's got to start, you know, with everybody. So the first thing I do when we talk about training is I talk about themselves individually. We, we can't we can't force other people to change. All we can do is change ourselves and hope that we're the type of people other people want to follow. Um, so I think it's leaders and empowered colleagues. Um, you've got to weave those core values in um, and they need to be woven into the orientation, performance development reviews, all your meetings. You know, you've got to stay true to what the business is about and bring it up all the time and reinforce it through everything you do. Um, and, and that way you, that way the culture will start to shift and change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a really good point actually. And, and one of the things that is challenging, especially in hospitality is how, you know, it's very transient. You mentioned at the outset that, that you moved around a lot. You, you've worked in many different properties in several different countries, uh, as have a lot of the listeners to show here. Um, and what we do, what we see from time to time, is that there might be a culture keeper uh, within either a department or or a property or within an organization, but that person moves on, um, and suddenly all of these best practices right. uh, start melting away, and they lose mm -hmm. traction. So, how do successful companies 
keep it alive, especially when they've got multiple locations out there that they want to try to keep some continuity uh, amongst the different properties that may be spread out over, over a city or over a country. Yeah. And this is, you know, so many people have negative things to say about technology. This is where technology really rocks, I think. Um, and I've always been a little bit nervous about the culture keeper type uh, model, because I feel that if I'm in a department of people, but I hear that one particular person is the culture keeper, then I think other people then go, oh, good, then I don't need to do that because, you know, this person's going to be driving us forward. I think we need to emphasize that we're all culture keepers, um, just as we would in a family. If something's going wrong, we're all responsible for that. Um, I, I really like with multi-location environments, the fact that I get to FaceTime or, um, you know, Skype with people, it, it makes it so much closer than it needs to be. I know that I work, I have a remote um, employee who works from home um, and I don't get to see her every day. But what I do absolutely is speak to her with FaceTime every week. So I actually see her face because that's what we both need for for success. Um, yeah, so I think that that it's really great to have those tools and it's great to learn. And I think things like leaders retreats are really important, getting together certain times of the year to keep those, um, those beliefs alive. I think what you said about everybody has a responsibility to keep it alive is so powerful because it is so easy for, for someone inside an organization to just say, well, it's somebody else's responsibility to yeah. do this and I'm just following direction here. Yes. And really not being a part of building something, um, you know, that, that has value for everybody. Um, and instead maybe, maybe paddling in the other direction. Um, yeah. Than what's trying to build. So it's easy to fall into that trap. And I'll give you an example with that. Um, if you, if you're the only one who is the culture keeper or the one who with the vision, then the minute you leave, like you say, everything falls apart. When I was with um, the Sandals Resorts in the Caribbean, I went to one particular Sandals Hotel. And these were the days when questionnaires weren't electronic. We would, you know, the guests would fill them out by hand and then they'd all go to head office. And this particular property was 13 out of 13 Sandals. Mm -hmm. So out of all the Sandals properties, it was always coming last place. Mm -hmm. And I went there as general manager and I thought, okay, here we go. And when I saw that that was the results of this property, the first thing I said to the managing director is, promise not to move me for at least a year, because in those days it was standard. They would move you in a very short time. Mm. And he agreed to that. And then I went to the team and I said, what do, what do we want for ourselves? And we did some soul searching. And after about two months of putting that question out to the team, we came up as a leadership team that we wanted to be in the top three in six months. That mm. was our aim. And so it seemed a little bit lofty, but again, we knew we had a strategy to it, et cetera. But it was to do with every single member of staff wanting that and moving forward. And in fact, in three months, we were number one. Oh, wow. And I was so proud of the team that we had done that. Um, and I didn't have bonus to give everyone, but what I gave them was um, we took a picture outside, not in the Sandals property. We took it outside on just the, the bare third world country road um, <laughs> of all the staff, everybody we could get together that day. And we copied that picture. And that picture, I put one, a copy of each in the card. And my sister helped me write some calligraphy. 
And I wrote a personal message to everybody and how their part had played in us getting to that, that point and how it's now everybody's responsibility to keep it there. And I stayed there. I was at that property for 14 months. Mm-hmm. And after I left, we stayed. And so all that time and after I left, that property stayed in the top three for 18 months after I left. And that oh, wow. shows that it wasn't just me. <laughs> this was much deeper and much greater than me. You gave everybody a North Star. You gave them something to work towards, right? Yeah. And rather than just coming in and punching the clock and being there yeah. um, to work their hours, they, they had a purpose. Yeah. So how is it then that team members that maybe aren't in a position of authority can promote positive change in this area? Um, you know, it's, it's it, again, it, what we see in a lot of organizations is that if, uh, it's easy to blame the boss. And, yes. and in a lot of cases, I mean, you know, the boss is the one who's driving <laughs> potentially a, a bad culture. Mm-hmm. But if somebody isn't in a position to, to affect change uh, at, a, at a larger level and maybe at a macro level, yeah. um, how can they do that in their individual area? So absolutely. So I, I believe that we are each leaders of, our, of ourselves, whether what, whatever job that we do. So not even, no one, not even a leader can change somebody else. We can only change ourselves. And every decision we make is a choice. So everything we do is a choice. So I think taking responsibility of what you can change and doing something about that, but also recognizing that you're not going to get bent out of shape or frustrated with some of the politics or things that, are, that you actually can't change. So an example was I went on BC ferries last week from um, Vancouver to Victoria, and it was the first time it ever happened to me. As I approached the window, the lady inside actually poked her head out to look to see if I was coming. So much that I thought, oh, was I, did I take too long to come to the window? And I, so I drove up and she said, good morning. And she did my transaction beautifully. When she gave me my ticket and told which lane I was in, she actually gestured out with her hand outside of the window and pointed to lane three for me. Hmm. And I was totally amazed by that. And I took it and I said, thank you so much. You know? And as I drove off, I thought, in all the years I've done that journey, and I love it. I don't think of it as a ferry ride. I think of it as a cruise every time hmm. I go. Uh, and yes, it's an expensive cruise, but I love it. I totally <laughs> love it. And, um, but that was the first time someone had done that. And I thought, she is making the most of her job. And she's touched me today. And that was such a lovely and a small gesture by looking out the window to greet me and then by extending her arm outside of the window. So she's taking control of her own destiny. That's amazing. And, and making uh, like an emotional connection with the people that she's coming up and encountering. Uh, or that are coming up to her in that case yeah, uh, yeah. throughout her throughout her shift. Yes. Uh, and for something that's such um, uh, such a repetitive style job, right? It's, yeah. You sort of see literally thousands of people a day in a, in a job totally, like that. Totally, uh, totally. But still finding a way to just connect with people and you can mm-hmm. do it anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's really about, uh, you know, per leadership, personal leadership, I suppose, is a good way to look at yeah. it, is, is taking control of, uh, of what it is that you're doing and try to make the most of it uh, every single day that you're, you're coming in and interacting with customers. And this is, this is personally a topic that's near and dear to me. Uh, you know, there's, there are no manuals that, that talk about this, that talk about how to do it. It's, it's something that, uh, that you uh, hopefully kind of 
maybe maybe it's an eight. Maybe you figure it out over time. Maybe you emulate people that you've seen do it well in other roles, kind of as you're coming up. And you say, hey, uh, you know, Sally is a is a great front desk agent, and I like the way that she takes control of situations. So I'm going to try to you know be like her when she's interacting with guests. Definitely. Um, but you know, it's when it comes to to leadership like that, personal leadership and departmental leadership. Um, you know, this is a big topic here. And I think that there's some value in, in diving into what people actually get wrong about leadership. You know, mm-hmm. what we, we know at a high level what it is, but what, what isn't leadership? <laughs> so I would say um, poor leadership is when you're focusing so much on telling people to do and you're not focusing on the type of person you should be as a leader. Um, we, and I, I see it very simply when I think about leadership, I see it as focusing on three areas. Are we making money? Are we financially, um, viable? Are we delighting the guests and are we engaging our employees? And you think, well, that's great if you're a leader, but how does that react to, you know, Teresa in the eighties when she started in London and was told, I hope you realize you're cleaning public area toilets for six months. And I said, yes, I'm here to learn that. And you think, well, how can someone who's cleaning public area toilets understand that? Uh, how, why does that, how does financials come into that? Well, the number of cloths that I use for the day, the way I'm diluting my chemicals, for example, delighting the guests. Well, it, you know, when guests are coming in and I'm cleaning the washrooms, I better have some idea of how to interact with them to make them feel like that, you know, that I'm not in their way or the other way around. And then engaged employees. Yes, I'm not responsible for a team. But I am one of those engaged employees. And it's for me to, again, make choices not to, you know, whinge about my workplace. But if I see something that I think could change, either recommend it to HR or see if I can fix it myself or, you know, that type of thing. So I feel, I feel if we focus on those three areas, I think leadership is like driving a train in my, in my mind. Hmm. And the train has three dials. And as long as we've got we're making sure that those three DARs are all working to their optimum, then, then the rest of it works. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a really good analogy actually. Cause yeah, you're, you're tr- trying to move forward all the time, right? Yeah. And, and when you're leading a team and, and, and kind of responsible for maybe for larger organizational goals, there's always a lot out there that you're, I, I liken it to, uh, to, to spinning plates. Uh, yes. Like the old style of circuses, you know, you got all these plates yeah. you gotta keep spinning up in the air uh, and try to keep them from wobbling. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to developing people, uh, you know, again, this is a, a big topic and uh, a lot of organizations have come at this a different way here. But mm-hmm. whose responsibility is it from your perspective? And, and when you're speaking with your clients, whose responsibility is it to actually develop people? Is it the organization's responsibility to do that? Or is it the person who's wanting the development? Great. So I think it's both. That? Mm, I think it's both. Um, I encourage people to use their voice, to be assertive, to respectfully ask for what they want and what they need. Um, but also great leaders will see in um, people that work around them, they'll see the high potential um, individuals around them. They'll feel energy when they put certain projects in front and the smart leaders will say, is this something you're really interested in, Adam or Teresa? Do you, you know, they, they'll get a sense from them. But I think asking for it, there's, there's a great um, 
tool that I use and I've always used it, well, certainly in the last um, 10 years, I've used it with leaders. Someone introduced it, a mentor introduced it to me about 12 years ago. And what I asked them to do is for my development as their leader, I'm asking them, what would you stop doing? What would you like me to stop doing, start doing and continue doing with you? And, you know, when you ask people who report to you to answer those questions there, oh, I'm, I'm quite happy to do the continue doing because, you know, they want you to feel good. I'm like, no, it's for my development and it's for me to be a better leader for you. If you can go through answering those questions, what would you like me to stop doing? You know, what, what drives you crazy when I do it? And so you give them a week to think about it. And I do this every three months with anybody who reports to me. And you just start to get a culture of speaking the truth, speaking mm-hmm. your truth, and it's pretty empowering. I mean, sometimes it hurts a bit. You're like, oh, you know, because Rob will say, I hate it when you interrupt me when I'm on the computer. But on the other side, there's Jill that says, please tell me, interrupt me when there's something because people want something different from you. Right. And, right. and that's the beauty of great leadership is we are flexible when we're dealing with people. We're not all cookie cutter. You can't do one thing because, you know, we know from people respond to different languages, you know, of, of affection and, and feedback as well, right? It's doing what's meaningful to the person that's on the receiving end. Correct, exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's really, you're, you're kind of speaking a language, uh, as it were. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. people don't understand the language that you're speaking. And, mm-hmm. and if you are leading them, then you've got to find a way to make sure that that kind of message gets through the noise, which kind of goes back to the earlier point about effective communication. Yes, yeah. Yeah, So. Definitely. So when it comes to, you know, people getting developed, uh, you know, in hospitality, but not just in hospitality, I think this is relevant to, to really just about any field that's out there. What is some advice that you give somebody who wants to progress in their career, who's sort of at that impasse, right? They're like, okay, well, I can either, I can either stay where I'm at or because I'm comfortable here, or uh, I can go for that next promotion. I can go for that, that job. And, And in hospitality, it's, um, sometimes it's making the decision to move across a country uh, yeah. away from, from a familiar area. Um, what, what advice would you give to that person who is ready to progress? So I would find out from them, what is it that, why, what, where do they want to be? What, what is the stuff that really lights them up? Um, is it that they want to work in teams on events or is it that they, they like the financials and the success of, of getting everything to, to fit into the, those, um, those financial reports? You know? So in other words, what's driving them forward? Or is, or is it money? Is it that you want, to, you want to make more money? You want to do better? Or do you want to live in another country? So keep that in mind first. And then think about, um, like you mentioned there, um, people around you. So if someone's got what you would like, then find out from them how they got it. Talk to them. Um, it's, it's mentorship, really. And I think people sometimes, I think, misunderstand um, mentors because they're looking for the perfect person out there. And as soon as you know someone a little bit more than just being a superstar on, on TV or something, you realize that they have flaws because guess what? We've all got them, you know? <laughs> so we think, well, I can't possibly have that person as my mentor because I wouldn't have done that particular thing that way. But I feel that mentors are very important because they hold aspects of their lives and their practices and their behaviors that you think, wow, if I did that, 
I, I would really, I, if I did that better, that would really pay off in dividends to me. Or I want to be more like that person. And it's not in an envious way. It's a smart way, you know? So I think mentors are really key and, and um, you know, find someone who's doing what you're doing. Um, I've always believed in volunteering. So for example, if you, if you fancy being in food and beverage and you're in accounting and food and beverage have got some really cool events going on, then offer to help, offer to polish the glasses, or would you like, maybe we can do a P&L, profit and loss on just that event after the, or can I sit in on the pre-meeting or something? There's, there's so much that we can volunteer on in work and in life that will lead us to what we want to do, you know? So I think those things. I love that. It's just about exposure. It's putting mm-hmm. yourself out there and, and be willing to, to take a risk. You know, Adam, I remember when I was, um, uh, I think the title was rooms manager and I knew my next position was, was uh, a number two executive assistant manager, it was called at the time. But when I thought about, oh, I really want to be an, a number two or I want to be the executive assistant manager, I then had this like feeling in my stomach of, I can't do it because I don't understand the financial side of it. I'm not good enough at that side of it. Mm-hmm. And on the day that I felt comfortable enough to ask a superb financial controller who just worked so well with me, and I asked him, I said to him, you know, what would I need to know to be a really good, you know, number two? And he looked at me and said, you're already doing it. And I said, no, I'm not. And I'm terrified of it. And I shared with him all my fears. And he said, I said, can I spend a half a day with you on my day off? He said, no, you can spend two hours tomorrow and I'll show you that, in fact, everything you do on a very micro level in, in housekeeping and how you manage the housekeeping costs and how you manage the, the cost per occupied rooms is, is actually you times that up to make a budget and you're, you shouldn't be fearful of it, but I'll happily show you. So it's being vulnerable enough to say, I don't understand that. Could, could you show me that? Can, mm-hmm. can you teach me that? Yeah, and, it's so true. It's so yeah. true. I love that example. And you know, I mean, how many times in, in your career, because I can point to dozens of examples of of times where, you know, you might be fearful of asking a question, uh, you know, kind of in the same uh, example that you just gave, or even just, you know, you, you get into something and you thought it was going to be one way and it turns out that it's another way. Yeah. And maybe, you know, it pushes you outside your comfort zone a little bit and it's, you're not connecting with it maybe the way that you thought you were because it, it built up so much in your own head. Yes. Positively or negatively, but then you move on from that. And then, you know, a year later, you look back on the experience very fondly and it helps you get to the place that you were ultimately trying to go. Yes, definitely. I, I, you know, back to your question about what's helped me on my journey is, yes, I've, I've looked towards mentors, but I've also always, always asked my boss for one-on-ones. So even if it, and this really wasn't a thing when I was coming up in, you know, when I was a department head and I had a divisional head. There really weren't one-on-ones, but I would ask, you know, could, could I meet with you today just for 15 minutes or what time next week works? So I was instigating those one-on-ones so I could sit in front of the people who were the next level up. And then I would say, this is what I'm, do- this is what I'm working on. What else do you have for me? Or is this the right direction? Are you comfortable with this? And what else do I need to know? And those were so because it's gold, they're really focusing on, on me and my development. And, it, and you know, the smart leaders don't, don't leave it for people to come to them, but they reach out and say, 
you know, can I spend half an hour with you every week? Um, and, and those are great. Monthly meetings are fantastic. Team meetings, again, setting the culture that it's okay to speak openly. You know, I love those. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you've had a pretty amazing career along, uh, along the way here. Uh, Thank you. Are there any resources or tools out there that have helped you on your journey that might be good for other people to, who, who are you know, trying to uh, get, get into the industry, get ahead in the industry uh, that they should pursue? Um, yes, I think flexibility is um, probably one of the things that leaders want to see most in um, up and coming. You know, if you just say, no, this is all I do. I stay in my, in my little box here kind of thing. That's in the hospitality. Flexibility is what people are looking for, for sure. Um, asking people for feedback when you've done something. Um, sharing what you would like is, is really important. Um, so I think, uh, I think, I think I may have answered that question already with, you know, having mentors and, um, putting yourself in front of people for one-on-ones and participating in monthly meetings. And yeah, I would say that it's, uh, it's about taking control. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Not waiting for other people to to drive your boat. You're going to take control of your life. Yeah. And if you don't know, it's okay too. just realize that, okay, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. But what I would find, for example, when I was a, a receptionist in a five-star hotel in London back in the 80s, I realized that um, every time the shift leader, who was like a supervisor, would put the schedule out, um, the, the whole team was unhappy with how she'd done the schedule. And I kind of, I've always loved scheduling. I thought, oh, it's like a puzzle. I could I think I could do better than she was doing. Honestly, I was thinking I could do it easier. I think I could. So of course I didn't want to put anyone's nose out of joint. So you have to approach it very carefully. But I said to her, oh, I've got some ideas on the schedule. And I wondered if, you know, you could show me how you do it. And I had to really be careful so that I wasn't treading on any toes. But Mm -hmm. after a few times of doing the schedule, she was like, well, you can do it, but I have to sign off on it. I said, oh, absolutely. So, and the whole team was happier with how it was being done. And she was happier that she wasn't spending two hours a week doing it. I was just so thrilled to get the opportunity. I didn't care if my name was on the, on the sort of kudos or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Such a great example. I love that. Um, so, you know, this show here, the, the whole reason behind it is that, you know, hospitality is, is big, it's complex. There's a lot of inputs. There's a lot of things that, that, that people need to, uh, when they want to progress to, to kind of get their arms around. So there's a lot of, um, scientific concepts and theoretical concepts. And so the idea behind the show here is that, you know, we try to find a best practice that we can distill down and make very easy for somebody to implement yeah. uh, right away. And that, that would make a difference, uh, you know, in their organization. Um, you know, so from your perspective, what is a best practice that somebody could, could implement today that's going to give them the most bang for their time and effort? Thank you for asking me. I've been looking forward to this one. I've listened to every single one of your podcasts, Adam, and I've thoroughly enjoyed them as a hospitality professional. And Thank I think you. The, the main thing is because you break it down, it doesn't need to be complex. So that actually answers the question for, for me, what's the best practice that people can implement is just break it down. Take a breath. If you don't understand, then just ask. And it doesn't need to be complicated. I, one of the things that I could not live without is a master list and it keeps me focused and it gets everything out of my head onto paper so that I'm not, 
when I'm working on something, I'm not being interrupted because I'm trying to, oh, don't forget to do this later. Oh, don't forget to do that. So I would suggest a master list. Mm-hmm. I would suggest that um, if you're a leader, you meet monthly, at least with your team, because if you're not, then you are not engaging your employees. You don't know what they're thinking. Um, and if you're if you have a boss, you know, if you're someone who's a supervisor, then meet weekly with your boss and ask them what you could be doing better. Is there another project that they have? It doesn't mean longer hours. It just means much more fulfilling work. Mm-hmm. Um, and just check the alignment and share your passion. Um, you know, if, if, you, if you enjoy something, say it out loud, you know. Um, if you found something embarrassing, then, you know, that's the one to say in private. <clears throat> I always say, you know, sort of, publicly compliment and privately coach. Um, so definitely check, check the alignment of what's happening around you because if you fit there, then you, you will succeed um, and then share the passion. Talk about a surprise and delight. That was like six things you just gave. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> a true hotelier right there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, look, Teresa, this has been amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today and and give your perspective, share your experiences. I think this is uh, fantastic uh, for people to hear. Thank if, you. Uh, if there's uh, a, a way that people can get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to find you online to learn a, bit, a little bit more about you and what it is you do with your Sure. It's, um, I've got a website, bluemountain.solutions, and the email address is teresa at bluemountain.solutions. So very simple. Amazing. And it's na- And by the way, do you know why I named the company Blue Mountain Solutions? I don't. I don't. Good <laughs> trivia here. So um, Blue Mountain Solutions, <clears throat> being from Jamaica, the Blue Mountains are the most spectacular place in Jamaica, even though most people think it's the beaches. And the Blue Mountains of Jamaica produce the finest coffee in the world, which all great hoteliers know the best coffee is Jamaican. So I thought I'd align myself with something that also came from Jamaica. So it keeps me rooted and grounded. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good place to, to wrap up the show. Teresa, I, uh, I thank you again. I really appreciate you being on today. And um, everyone look forward to uh, the next episode of the show. Great. It's been my pleasure. And in keeping, I'd love to hear any feedback that anyone has. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll, if people at the end of the show, they can go uh, find the show notes. Uh, they can uh, just click on the link uh, on, on the website uh, through the show uh, or just email uh, Teresa at her email address. Perfect. Lovely. Excellent. Thanks very much. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to the Proven Principles Podcast with Adam Knight. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. The podcast is brought to you by Knowing Hospitality, a full-service hotel management company that puts your performance first by rethinking the management model. Visit knowinghospitality.com to learn more. Until next time.